if you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. If you follow this podcast, then you've gotten to know my Protestant friend, Ed. Ed is curious about Catholicism, and over the last year, we've been recording our conversations as he asks me questions about Catholic beliefs and practices, as well as having some experiences together, like his first Mass. Now, if you're a certain flavor of Protestant, like Reformed or Contemporary Evangelical in particular, phrases like obligatory worship or Sunday obligation are like fingernails on a chalkboard. Of course, that reference is incomprehensible to you millennials who have probably never seen a chalkboard, so Google it, kids. Anyway, pointing out that Catholics have a Sunday obligation is like tossing gasoline on the bonfire of Protestant stereotypes of Catholicism as nothing but a rules-based religion in which you earn your way into heaven with good works instead of being saved by faith. So, Ed came straight out and asked me, if he becomes Catholic, does he have to go to church on Sunday? Before we dive into the conversation, I want to invite you to join me for a once-in-a-lifetime pilgrimage this Lent, to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and the Apostles. I'm leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land to walk where Jesus walked, and to Turkey, the ancient Roman province of Asia Minor, where Paul and the Apostles preached and the Church was established in its first centuries. Now, you can work with our tour operator to arrange air travel from wherever you live. We'll all land in Israel on March 20, 2023. That's just three weeks before Easter. And over the next 10 days, we'll visit all of the major biblical sites in and around Israel. We'll go to Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee to see where Jesus recruited the apostles and he performed miracles and preached the Sermon on the Mount. We'll have Mass on the mountain where Peter, James, and John witnessed the Transfiguration. We'll go through the Jordan River Valley and stand where Jesus was baptized. We'll visit the Judean wilderness where he was tempted by Satan, Bethlehem, and the Grotto of the Nativity where he was born. In Jerusalem, we'll go to the Upper Room where he held the Last Supper and appeared after the Resurrection. And just before Passion Week next spring, will walk where Jesus suffered his passion, from the Garden of Gethsemane to his trial and the Stations of the Cross up to the Rock of Calvary where he was crucified, and will see his empty tomb. Now, at that point, you'll have the option of flying home, but some of us will be flying to Turkey for four days discovering the cities of the New Testament, Ephesus and Colossae and Hierapolis and Sardis and Smyrna. 
This is where Paul preached and planted churches, to which he addressed the epistles of the New Testament. We'll have a priest along with us, and we'll celebrate Mass every day. Now, for the details on prices and accommodations and all of that, go to consideringcatholicism.com. Consideringcatholicism.com. And on the top of the first page, you'll see a big Lenten purple banner that says, Holy Land Pilgrimage 2023, join Greg Smith in Israel and Turkey for Lent. If you click on that, it'll take you to the information and sign-up page on the 206 Tours website. Now, to make sure you're a part of our group, make sure that you sign up for the group with my name, Greg Smith, and use the trip code GS110221. I know that we have listeners spread around the United States and in many other countries, and that's no problem. You can work with Liz and their amazing staff to make your arrangements from wherever you live. But time is short. We're leaving on March 20, and, well, as of today, that's less than four months away. If you have any questions for me, shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com, and I hope that you'll join me for the Lenten journey of a lifetime. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. Okay, I have a, something I want to talk about that is really not, I think, probably not terribly theological or anything. And oh, I'll probably, yeah, I'll probably <laughs> show my uh, stripes here. I'll, I'll, I'm going to, you know, show my hand here by asking this question. But I want to know about church attendance. And I, mm. I, you know, I feel like I'm, uh, yeah, like I, you know, so is Ed asking this because he wants to know what he can get away with? And should right. I convert to Catholicism so that, you know, when I was a kid, uh, at the Baptist church, okay, right. we went Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night prayer service. And right. then later on, when I worked at the big church, we cut out the Sunday evening service because nobody was coming to it, okay? Right. The church secretary said she was concerned that we were raising a generation of oncers. Oh, you don't want to be a oncer. You don't want to be a oncer, just once on Sunday. Dude, I, when I became a Christian, for the first, uh, so I was in college when I converted to Christianity. Right. And um, I became a Christian through campus ministries, uh, particularly uh, InterVarsity, Christian Fellowship, and, and Campus uh, Crusade. But I was playing sports, right? And so, like, my weekends were super important to me because we had races and right. competitions and all these kinds of things. And I was like, well, I got to be a Christian. Well, it was okay to go. I, like, I kind of like going to the Wednesday night campus Bible study. If I became a Christian and got baptized, then, like, you're going to kill my weekends, dude. Right. And they're like, well, you bet your weekends. I go, right, I, I don't, I'm okay with the Wednesday night campus Bible study, but don't, dude, don't crush my weekends. Right. And, and so uh, I was like, is there, like, a church that I could join or become <laughs> a part of that doesn't have, like, services on the weekends? Right. And, and then I, I ended up in this uh, long story of my life, but I ended up uh, ordained in this, this denomination called the Christian Form Church. And they had two services on Sunday, right. but this is the trick. They weren't like the same service twice. It wasn't like, um, like a lot of churches will have two services on right. Sunday. It was two completely different services with two right. completely different sermons. Right. So you had Sunday morning, then you're supposed to go home and have lunch and a nap. Right. And then come back for the Sunday evening service, which was completely different songs, completely different order of worship, right. and a completely different sermon. So when you were ordained, you were like, I have to actually write 
and preach two sermons each Sunday with a nap in between, a lunch and a nap in between. Right. And that felt super harsh to me. And, <laughs> and so what happened is, you know, naturally as time went on, like attendance at the Sunday evening service was like a fraction of Sunday morning. Right. And then you could tell whether a pastor had a, what sort of, you know, spine, you know, substitute your own imagination there, but whether you, how right. much of, how much spine you had, yeah. because what you would do is on Sunday evening, you'd preach like a sermon about Sunday evening attendance and you go, right, but you're preaching it to like the, yeah, the, the people the, who the are 40 here, 40 people who are here, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, not the 200 and sh- didn't come back at night. Well, there was nothing theological in any of this. And none of the churches I ever was involved in ever really tried to say that it was just, I, I don't know, kind of a traditional thing or a cultural thing. You just, what kind of, you know, you were looked at suspiciously if you didn't come every time the doors were open, you know? Well, like, okay, here, think about it this way. First of all, we do have a commandment about the Sabbath. Right. Right? So it's right there in the Ten Commandments and the Big Ten engraved on the stone. Keep the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Right. So we're supposed, so Sabbath observance, you know, from the earliest time of the church was a big deal. I mean, go back to the, you know, the right. Church of the Apostles, right? The New Testament church. The, the Sabbath is a huge deal. And also, you know, having traveled to less developed parts of the world, back in history or places that aren't developed now, you know, places where maybe life, the life is more of an agricultural economy, mm-hmm. um, people didn't work on Sunday. They traveled to the village. They traveled in from the countryside to, right. to, for the Sabbath. And you didn't go back out into the fields that day. So Sabbath as service was huge. And then the Industrial Revolution and the modernization of, commu- you know, uh, the modernization right. of a consumer economy, retail economies, all of a sudden people have all these other things to do on Sunday. They shop, they could go entertained. And then the leisure economy, that's when I can take my boat out on the lake. That's right. when I can have fun. That's going to go run a 10K. That's when the kids can, right? So all these things began to get in the way of keeping the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. The question is, how many times on the Sabbath do you have to show up? Like in the denomination that I was ordained in when I was younger, uh, the idea was if you really, really want to keep the Sabbath day holy, you sort of bracket both ends of it. You come in the morning, you worship, then you go home and you eat a good meal and you rest on the Sabbath and then you come back and you sort of book in the day. But really, again, there's not, the, the, the Sabbath day is a biblical principle. Uh, how many times on the Sabbath day, what that looks like, that's an issue of discipleship within your community and tradition, how you right. observe the Sabbath, as l- if you're keeping it holy. So, you know, the bottom line, look, is church attendance. Uh, it, it's hard to argue that you're a faithful Christian if you don't gather with God's people in some way, shape, or form on the Sabbath and keep it holy. But it's, it's pretty hard right. to make a biblical argument for faithful Christian discipleship that doesn't have some component of Sunday worship associated with it. Right. So, so, so in the Catholic church is, is, uh, so I assume then from what you're saying, uh, that, that, uh, mass attendance is expected to be every week. Yes. Right. Okay. So in the Catholic church, right. Um, and you know, you know, you have a mass obligation. And I remember when I was a Protestant, we laughed and laughed and laughed. It's like my, I have to fulfill my obligation. Oh my gosh, these Catholics with their obligation. Of course, in the Christian Reformed Church, it's like you, there was an obligation just as well. You didn't right. show up, right? So I think it was framing it in terms of obligation. Like that was the problem. 
in terms of the language, because it played into all of this stereotype that Catholics had to do works to be saved. We weren't going to church twice on Sunday, not because it was an obligation, because it arose out of our devotion and gratitude to (laughs) Jesus Christ for his free gift of salvation. And of course, if you really love Jesus and you're truly grateful for his gift of salvation, you want to come. So we, we had to go, but but we laughed at the Catholics because uh, they had to had to go because right, right. they see uh, saw it as an obligation. We saw it as an opportunity. So it was all like how you, how you spun that, right? Right. But we do have this notion of the obligation. So here, here, let me try a different way. So step out of those traditional Protestant denominations and talk about like the contemporary evangelical church or the Pentecostal church, right? Right. So let, let me try this on size. Suppose I were to say to you, you can be a good Christian and never read your Bible, never crack a Bible, never pray to God, never go to a small group, never go to a church service and sing the songs and raise your hands and sway. Right. I I honestly don't know any uh, evangelical Christians who would say that you could not do those things and call yourself a faithful disciple of Jesus. Right. They might say you could have a weekend off from time to time, right. but nobody would say, if, if, if you tried to claim that I'm a faithful follower of Jesus who never reads the word, never does devotions, never prays, and never joins God's people to you know, hear the word preached right. and worship, they would just say, well, then you aren't really following Jesus. Then, then you aren't practicing discipleship. The issue as I see it, is that the Catholic Church says that that relationship with Christ, that practical working out of your discipleship, that practical engagement with God and his word and his people is best expressed in the Mass. Hmm. So it's not an issue of whether or not followers of Jesus should worship and hear the word. It's the issue of whether that occurs in the mass or through private worship and Bible reading and going to a more contemporary service or whatever. The issue is you're just substituting all of those evangelical things for the structured mass, which is the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of communion. And so what the Catholic Church is saying in Sunday Obligation is that to be a genuine follower of Jesus— to, to really follow him means that you hear God's word mm-hmm. and you participate in the sacraments mm-hmm. and that you do that on a regular basis and that the Sabbath, part of our weekly cycle of life, based on the Ten Commandments, is that you, you, you basically come on Sunday and you, and you hear God's word, you engage in prayer with his people and you take the Eucharist and that that's a responsibility of discipleship that to be a faithful follower of Jesus is to do that. And you, in a sense, are obligated as a follower of Jesus to him right. to do those things. In other words, hard to call. So if you blow off Sundays because you just want to blow them off now, you know, maybe you're sick. And the church understands right. that, right? Maybe you're on an airplane to your mother's funeral. The church understands right. that. But if you just decided, I woke up this morning, wanted to go play golf, the church says, that's something that you kind of chose instead of 
instead of kind of personal yeah. discipleship with Christ, and that in a sense it's a sin, and it, and it, and it's and it's a, a a moral question because you're making a choice for something other than working out your discipleship with Christ, and so you're called to the the solution is you go to confession and you say, Father, forgive me if I've sinned. You know, the last couple of weeks I've just ignored God's word, ignored His people, and ignored the sacraments, and chose to go play golf or sleep right. in. And I'm sorry, and I, I want to be a better follower of Jesus, and I want to engage with Him in that way. And 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 the and you work it out in the sacrament of reconciliation. Well, it it's um, talking about this with a Protestant friend at lunch a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "It's just John three sixteen, man. All you got to know is that Jesus died for your sins." And you accept it, and that's it. There's nothing else you have to do. And and it sort of, I feel like you know the question there is I have to ask myself is, do I really think this? Do I really take this seriously? Do I really care? Does that do you know? Is my faith going to change my behavior at all? You know, is um, uh, at what point do I say, well, this just really isn't important enough to me to do to do anything about it, then I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to ask, I have to question my own, you know, my own seriousness about it. Do I, what do I, what am I going to show up and do? Yeah. I've been hearing that since, uh, you know, my days of, of being converted in a campus ministry, right. Is that it's just, it's just a relationship. So the other day I was channel surfing and I land on this commercial and as I'm flipping through the remote and I swear, I like, I recognize that guy. So we started in the last couple of podcasts, like naming names, because I don't know who cares. So um, I go, that's Greg Laurie. So Greg Laurie is uh, the pastor of Harvest Bible. And so we were talking about, um, uh, when we were talking about the papacy in a couple of episodes ago, and how um, Protestants will have this thing of handing down the mantle to the next right. guy, right? So Greg Laurie, so I, I, the first church I ever went to was Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, the mothership of the Calvary mm-hmm. Chapels. And Chuck Smith was like the prophetic right. guy who founded it. And then he had this protege, Greg Laurie, and he kind of handed his mantle to Greg Laurie, who started Harvest Bible. So, I mean, this goes back to like, man, my like, you know, earliest days as a young guy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Greg Laurie. And he's like walking on a beach. And I know that beach because I grew up in Southern California and I surfed. And it was right. like, dude, I know that exact spot, that exact beach he's walking on, right? He's right. down like on Laguna and right. he's walking around Laguna Beach. And he's like, you know, it's just a prayer of John 3, 3.16. And he said that exact thing. He goes, it's not a religion. It's just a relationship. And it's just, it's just exaggerating Jesus in your heart. And that's all it is. And I go, well, hold on a second, Greg. I mean, this is pretty powerful to me because it was what I first heard. But, I, you, know, I've, you know, that's been a long time. And I've come to realize that a relationship has to take practical shape. Right. So, if, so when I met my wife, you, you know, I go, honey, I just, I just love you. I look into your eyes and I just love you. You know, I tell you I love you. You go, great. What now what? Oh, I, I don't know. You know, well, are you going right. to marry me? Oh, not necessarily. Are you going to... Um, show up and take me out to dinner tomorrow night? Well, not necessarily. If you tell me you're going to be here next Saturday night, are, and are you going to show up? Uh, not necessarily. If we get married, are you going to, like, you know, help provide? Not necessarily. Honey, it's, 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 it's you know, it's a relationship. 
not a, right. not a, but, but a relationship is practical things, right? right. That's what I'm driving at is to say that it's just a relationship with Jesus. You go, sure, it is a relationship with Jesus, but every relationship is worked out in meaningful, right. practical ways. And the relationship with God, and this is biblical, is worked out in certain things. It's worked out in prayer. It's worked out in worship. It's worked out in devotion to his people. It's worked on coming to the table of communion. It's worked out in you know, the Sabbath, all of these things. This is New Testament Christianity 101. And so the Catholic Church, I think the issue is, has a more structured sense of that in mm-hmm. that, you know, um, this is, you know, Sunday. And, and, and I think from a marketing standpoint, calling it an obligation has allowed, has allowed Protestants to sort of use that as an argument that the Catholics are into works theology. Right. And what they're really saying is, no, you work out your relationship with Christ yeah. By meeting him in worship and when, and, and you have a response and obligation, the obligation is into the church. The obligation is to Christ to, to not neglect him. Right. And, and, and to come to him in prayer and, and worship and to participate by taking his body and blood yeah. and remembering him. And if you don't do that, it's sort of hard to argue that you have an active relationship yeah, with him. Yeah. That's, that's the point I was driving at. It was, yeah. What do you, yeah. So yes, if you become a Catholic, then you're going to, then you have an obligation and, and like the Catholic church doesn't take attendance by the way. Right. So nobody knows it's just between you and Jesus. But you know, if you, if you decide to blow off Sunday a bunch of times because you want to sleep in or goof off or whatever, then I think, you know, you have to, you have to ask, you know, I really have been neglecting the Lord and I've been neglecting meeting him. And, uh, and I need to go to confession and I need to work that out and, and ask why I have been doing that and, and repent to, to, right. to have a more active relationship. The other thing that I think from a marketing standpoint that trips up Protestants is there's this phrase where you talk about satisfying your Sunday obligation and that freaks Protestants out because right. they go, look, works theology. So what that means is this, and this is actually, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I wanted to bring this up. So a lot of churches will have mass on maybe, uh, the Catholic Church on on Saturday evening and then one on Sunday morning. And what you'll say is if you go to the Saturday evening Mass, then it satisfies your Sunday obligation. And before I became Catholic, they're like, oh, look, 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 works theology. You're satisfying your obligation. Right. But here's the thing. You know why that, that, that happened? Is that in the ancient church coming out of Judaism, it, it's, it's called the vigil, that the day ends at sunset. Yeah, yeah, right. So what happens is, is, is you consider the day sort of ending at sunset. And so on Saturday evening, what it's actually called is a vigil mass. So a Saturday vigil mass means that, in a sense, what I'm doing on Saturday evening, in a sense, a part of Sunday. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um, this is why you get into this whole thing about how did Jesus, like three days in the grave when it was right. like Friday, Saturday, and the third <clears throat> and Sunday. It's because it has to do with how... Uh, uh, Jews counted the days and the right. day ended at sunset. So when I go to the Saturday evening mass, I'm actually going to right. the Sunday mass just being held yeah. during the vigil evening hours. Well, it's right in Genesis, in the evening and the morning were the first day. Yeah. Right? Right. And so, so that's why when I go to Saturday night mass, it's the same readings. Right. Mass readings and homily is the next morning. Because right. it's, it's, uh, it basically is. So when you say every Sunday you should keep the Sabbath day holy, what you're saying when you say Saturday night 
satisfied my Sunday obligation is that by going to the Saturday vigil mass, I, mm-hmm. it was already in a sense, the Sabbath and I right. preserved the Sabbath. I just did it during the dark hours of the day. Well, when I worked at the big church, we were so, we got so busy on Sunday morning. We had, I think three services or whatever. We decided to start a Saturday night service right? and it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. And, and uh, a lot of people were opposed to it and there was a lot of, you know, a lot of talk and a lot of our, uh, discussion about this. And, and they asked the worship team, the worship arts team to come up with a, a list of reasons why it's okay to come to church on Saturday night. And it was a little tongue in cheek, but we were trying to help people just understand that it was okay. And my big reason, my big contribution to this list that I remember is that if you Saturday night just doesn't carry as much weight. So if you blow it off, you don't feel as guilty <laughs> as blowing off Sunday morning. Right. Um, anyway, uh, that is, uh, that's, uh, I hadn't thought until you said it, the, uh, of the, uh, the definition of the Sabbath, the actual sunset to, um, yeah, that's a, that's a good so, thing. So, right. So, you know, like at Christmas, they'll talk about like midnight mass or right. like we'll have a lot of vigil masses on a Saturday night or the night before something because, uh, say for Easter or at Easter and Christmas on the, the night before, once the sun has set, there's a vigil mass, Easter vigil mass or Christmas vigil mass. And that actually celebrates the mass for the next morning because if you count days from sun to the sunset, it already right. is the next day. Right. Well, I th- and that comes out of the ancient Catholic, because the Catholic Church is ancient and goes back to two thousand years to the origins of the church and uh, the days of the, the apostles, the Jews and the first Greek Christians. Right. That that was how they counted time, and that's been preserved. Well, this feels like a pretty short podcast, but I think you, oh, I think good. you covered it. I'd, well, there we I'd, go. Yeah, there we and go. we've had some really long podcasts, so we're giving a gift of time for our listeners. And they can use this extra time to go to Mass. There we go. I'm going to use my extra time today to hit McDonald's on the way home. There you Because I have a long drive after, after supper. And so is this uh, podcast brought to you by... <laughs> <laughs> There's no product placement here. No, this, this. I know. Unless we're going to get paid, I want, right. I want to see the, the sponsorship right, right, right. money. Okay. All right. Otherwise, we're not mentioning any products or, or, exactly. or brands. Okay. okay. All right, right. thanks, Ed. Next time. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.